We are Rogue Media Sports. Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on the podcast, Scotty Lauer is a seasoned broadcaster. Spent more than a decade calling games in the NBA, and he spent a lot of time with me talking, and he's always been a friend, and I've always found him to be a, a seriously compelling individual. And, and he's got stories upon stories. He takes us behind the scenes with guys like Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and Michael Jordan. Need I say more? Coming up, Scott Lauer. <laughs> Here to Time Warner Cable Arena. We're in Uptown Charlotte. Knicks are in town against the Hornets. The Hornets are 18 up and 26 down. Knicks are 8 and 36, but they've won three in a row. Hornets had their three-game winning streak snapped in Cleveland last night. The inactive report is being brought to you by Novon Health. That is the official health care provider of the Hornets. Kemba Walker is out. So you grow you grew up uh, outside of New York City. Uh, in Westchester, New York, right? Right. And so during that time when you're evolving, you're, you're watching the Knicks, you know, you're watching the Yankees, but you're surrounded by, I think there's something special about guys from Long Island, guys from outside of New York City, because you've got so many different sports teams and you have the best of the best talent-wise, per se. Who are some of your influences early on? Well, I mean, these are the Giants, right? Marv Albert. Um, obviously doing Knicks TV, Mike Breen, who is the voice of, of the New York Knicks on radio, a WFAN at the time carrying those games. Um, Gary Cohen of the New York Mets was doing radio. Now he, he's transitioned to TV. Um, you know, even, even Ian Eagle, right. I was interning at WFAN one of my years in college and, and I got to know Ian pretty well. Um, and he was doing the Nets and I guess Jets really in the fetal stages of his career. Um, but, it, you know, how can you go wrong trying to listen and learn and enjoy from Marv and, and Breen? Um, they're, they're truly the best and they were very inspirational. Um, so I would get an adrenaline rush, you know, listening to these guys all the time. Um, it was special. I mean, they, I was a, a rabid Knicks fan and, um, I was a Dodgers fan, actually, not the Yanks or the Mets, but nonetheless, the Knicks were really uh, powerful for me, um, kind of with my uh, sports emotional state. And you know how Marv and Mike Breen kind of elevate the excitement level for that team. So it was cool. I, I mean, it was it was a great, exciting childhood when it 
became the sports and broadcasters. So you, you, you grow up in this fertile ground for, you know, a lot of the great sportscasters are from around that area um, of the country. And I, I think it has something to do with, you know, you are surrounded by, by such talent. Uh, when was the first time you found yourself exercising your abilities, uh, call, whether it was calling, you know, a little league baseball game or calling a college game with the sound down? Yeah. So, you know, the, the genesis of, of my like uh, journey into sports broadcasting really started when I was a senior in high school and I went to school in, in Westchester County, New York, in Hartsdale. And we had this acronym, a program, WISE, W-I-S-C, and it stood for Woodlands, the, the name of the high school, Individualized Student Experience. And so it was it was really a remarkable program because here you have these teenagers and they basically encourage you to pursue your passion and they ask you to come forward with what you want to do most likely a few years after you're done with high school and college in most cases. And then they foster relationships with businesses, let's say, or in my case, stations. Uh, and they utilize their Rolodex of connections and their, their network to bridge the students with these these people that are in the industry that you may want to join at some point so it's fantastic and so i always knew at that point i wanted to do something in sports i just didn't know exactly what it was necessarily and i always knew i wanted to maybe be at the game and so (laughs) i was this passionate wfan sports radio listener growing up for all those years and when i told them hey you know i want to do things in sports i'm not sure exactly what they may be they had some connection to FAN, or maybe I encouraged them to call FAN, whatever it was. Which and is I the monster up- sports talk radio station in the country. It still is, and at the time. I mean, even now with Trustral Radio, it still is reigning supreme. But back then, it was a monster. It was. I think it, it was the first. I, it, in 1987, I believe, is, is when it was launched. Um, yeah, so I, I was listening to Mike and the Mad Dog from the real early days. And so, you know, FAN was the big, big thing when I was in high school listening. And so they they hooked me up with a trip to to FAN, amongst other things. And as soon as I got into those studios at FAN, which at the time was in Astoria, Queens, New York City, I mean, I was absolutely hooked. I mean, going to that newsroom and and meeting everybody and Imus and Mike and the Mad Dog. (laughs) You met Don Imus? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He intimidated me. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, well, he intimidated Howard Stern. I mean, I'm sure he intimidated Scott Lauer. Oh, yeah. No, it was kind of funny. I mean, he was playful to a degree, but uh, I remember peeking in one of the producers, Eddie Scazzeri, this really sweet guy. He was showing me around the studio and he's like, you know, there's Don Imus. And Imus like stares at me from his production room. He's like, what the hell do you want? (laughs) Again, probably kidding around, but that's, I I think, who he really was. Yeah. Um, But, you know, meeting all these guys at FAN. You know, John Minko, who I know you yeah. got to, to work with, um, just a lot of really nice people, Bob Husler, And I, I was like, this is what I want to do. I mean, there was an energy and electricity about it. And so from there, it kind of made it more granular. You know, my my vision of, all right, not only do I want to get into sports, but sports casting is, is really what I want to do. And then from there, it became all right, well, maybe I don't want to spend my life in a studio. I really want to be at the games. Let me see what play-by-play is all about. And that's kind of what I, I focused on 
more so in college, but that's where it all started. So I wasn't one of these guys, you know, at nine or 10, you know, doing mimicking play by play necessarily. Um, that sort of began when I was in college at the college radio station, just trying to get better doing Ithaca College play by play. Yeah. So did you do, I, I don't remember, did you do play by play at Ithaca where you went to school? Yeah. Yep. For the, for the college radio stations and, and a little TV, I see TV as well. Um, but radio is really more my comfort level in, and that's kind of what my focus was and, and proved to be. And then you, you, you get out of Ithaca, right? After a short run as a bookmaker, unsuccessful, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. that, that may or may not be the case, but yeah, <laughs> I think your sources are possibly accurate. Uh, I mean, but that to me, honestly, Scott, it's one of those things, one of the many things I really enjoy about you is it shows how much of a sports guy you are. I mean, it was just like, it really gets the juices flowing and sports is something that always, always kind of moved you and it moved you all the way out to, to Las Vegas, right? What was your first job out of college actually? Yeah. So first job was actually took me nine months to get my first ever job. As my mom so aptly put it back <laughs> in the day, she said a job was born after kind of a nine month wait. Uh, the pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up just like hanging out with my grandmother in Delray Beach, Florida, you know, in the wintertime playing golf and <laughs> waiting for that phone call. And I applied for all these radio jobs around the country. Um, and I finally got one in Woodward, Oklahoma, uh, nine months later. And uh, I was doing pretty much everything. I was doing sports updates, talk show hosting. Um, I was thrust into the news department a little bit when the news guy got let go. Um, <laughs> but it was good. You yeah. know, I started, you know, my own daily, hourly talk The Lauer Hour. Uh, it was called sport. I think sports hour or was, I think it's power. I forgot a sports hour with Scott or something like that. Yeah, and that's because when, when I would work, when we, when we'll get to this, when we worked for, with the Bobcats together, I was doing PR. You did, you would do the Bobcats weekly radio show a lot of the times. And I would have poked my head in the studio and I would call it the Lauer hour. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and you said, actually that once upon a time was really uh, a show right. or, you know, I'm, I'm close enough with the name. So you're, you're in Woodward, you're having these experiences though. When you get to Woodward the whole time, you're like, when am I getting out of here? Where, where am I going next? Yeah. And well, and then I was doing American Legion play by play in Woodward, which I loved. I loved doing all these games, these high school kids. Uh, and I was getting a lot of reps there. And that's, that's really where I knew like play by play is, was my passion more so than the updates and talk show hosting. Did you feel um, it? Did you feel it, Scott? Like when you were, when you were calling a game, even at a young age like that, not, and you're not so young anymore, you're out of college, but were you like, wow, I've, I've got, I've got something here. I've, I've got like, I, I, I'm in a rhythm and I'm good at this. Yeah. I, I felt like I always took ownership, you know, in front of the microphone. I just felt like that was my, my comfort zone. And I was, I felt I was good at what I was doing and I had a passion to get better. Um, and especially with the play by play end of it, I didn't think I was necessarily the best talk show host and, and the updates to me weren't exhilarating, but the play by play really got my juices flowing. So that, that, that really became my goal from a young age professionally is let me see how far I can take this. Can I get to the majors or the NBA or the NFL, that kind of a thing. And I treated my twenties as kind of my apprenticeship. It's kind of like my extended on-air internship. I didn't care about money. I didn't care about where I was living in the U.S. 
even though I, I love traveling. So it kind of was a perfect blend of, of my passions of sports and traveling and exploration. But I didn't really worry about anything. I just wanted to get better for all those years in my 20s. Um, but yeah, that was definitely my vision is, is to go as, as far as I could in play by play. And after Woodward, is that when you go, to, you, you went to, did you go to Wyoming or did you go to Vegas after that? Let's see. So Oklahoma turned into Vegas. Yep. Uh, that's where I did the sports fan radio. Who'd you, who'd you work with? Who are some of the bigger names you work with at the sports fan? JT, the brick. Yeah. He's awesome still. Yeah. He was really cool with me. I mean, he, um, because I, I, I've always been ambitious and I wanted to do things all the time. He was, he allowed me to do like features and he would play them on his show. Um, you know, a lot of people would be like, you know, who the hell is this young guy? I don't want, I don't want this guy contributing to my show, which is nationally acclaimed. But he's like, no, man. He's like, if you, if you've got something and you're putting in the effort, you know, record something, I'll play it. And, and that was, that was really great of him. Um, I don't know if you know some other names, but I was mainly the producer for Chuck Powell and Soren Petro at the time. Oh, I remember Petro. Yeah. Yeah. And Soren, I think, went back to Kansas City, where he's from. But they're both extremely talented talk show hosts. Um, how was yeah, how, how was Vegas? How was living in Vegas? Vegas was unique, obviously, and, and special. Um, the The irony was it was before I I dove into poker, which became one of my passions. <laughs> uh, but it was it was kind of surreal when you're living in like in the mecca, basically, of, of the world when it comes to tourism and. But after a while, I think the novelty wore off after a few months. You're like, all right, thousands of tourists yet again, you know. But, you know, it was fun. You know, I've worked at the MGM Grand. That's where the talk show was that I was producing at the sports book and casino. So that's where I would go every afternoon. We we do our show that I was producing. The kicker of that job was I got to do updates and uh, on weekends and a little talk show fill-in work. Um so that was fun. I mean, obviously, I wanted to be on the air, but I knew. Did they pull game. the plug on that station? That they were pretty. That that station was pretty ambitious, and I think it did fold after a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, that no longer exists. Okay. Um, maybe I led to their downfall. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> well, it was a great. It was. I I I thought it was I, when I did back when I started doing stuff with with the War Room, which turned into NFL Scouts, which was eventually sold DSPM. We did, we worked with uh, the sports fan radio network and it was pretty cool. Uh, I remember just, it was an exciting time. It was an exciting time all, all across the landscape of sports broadcasting because, you know, the internet was coming about, you know, people, you, you, you had like uh, different websites that were, you know, all sports all the time, obviously. And this station was, was one of those, one of those things that was growing up out of that whole situation. It, things were really opening up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were some big affiliates there. Um, you know, we were on on EEI in Boston was one of our big affiliates. And we were on, I think, Phoenix. And I'm not sure if we were on Philly or not, but um, but it was fun. Yeah, come to think of it, maybe, you know, maybe McShay was on as a guest yeah. periodically. Uh -huh. Things like that. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I, uh, we, want, we move on now from Vegas. And then when do you start? I think you, you go to D.C. after that and you're, you're calling – Minor league games, is that right? Uh, that was a couple of stops after. Okay. So to go in chronological order after 
Vegas, yeah, so that's when I really wanted to focus exclusively on play-by-play because I missed, I missed that from my, like, even just doing the high school games in, in Oklahoma. When I went to Vegas, yeah, I mean, it was fun to an extent, but there was no play-by-play involved. And that's when I made the decision. And it was kind of bold at the time. You know, here I am, a young guy. I'm living in Vegas. And I, I tell my one of my bosses, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to the, the baseball winter meetings here, and I, I want to do play-by-play. And I ended up getting a job in Butte, Montana. <laughs> that's um, right, yeah. Yeah, and they were an Angels affiliate at the time. And I remember, so that's in rookie ball. So we were doing... 76 games of play-by-play every year 76 games season and I remember the the GM at the time Ted Torno he goes all right you know I'm giving you this offer here's the deal though um I need you to do a lot of sales for me <laughs> for like months before this season starts which isn't terribly uncommon yeah in minor league baseball it's okay he's like but here's the deal the rub is uh, my wife's pregnant. I'm not going to be in the office as much. I really need sales help. I just don't have any more of a budget to pay. Had you just come in and call the games? So I got paid twenty five hundred dollars for the entire like six months. <laughs> <laughs> and you made um, it work. Yeah, but again, like I said before, like I didn't care as much about money. I just wanted reps. Yeah, you know, that was my goal. I mean, look, you're not going to make much money anyway doing minor league baseball at the time at that level especially um so yeah i go from vegas to to, to butte montana which is how many beautiful. games do you think how many games do you think you called over the course of a, a one one season it was 76 so you in, called in 76 butte. games and then so from butte where, where are you able to go from there so from butte i ended up going to the the marquee team in the league the billings mustangs also in montana okay uh Billings like had this aura about it just because it was one of the bigger cities in the league and they they had a real great support system in the community for the Mustangs baseball team. Are those games like all sold out? Uh yeah, I think a lot of them like weekends were definitely packed. Okay. For sure. And it was definitely the proverbial big fish, you know, in the small pond. Um so if you were gonna be in the Pioneer League, Billings was definitely the place to be. And I I had gotten to know gary roller the gm who's still the gm there and still a really good friend of mine pretty well during my year in butte and then i was able to get that job uh when joe Dominey was his name at the time he left to take a hockey job so i spent 99 and 2002 years in billings um and i was also able to call basketball for a also defunct minor league <laughs> basketball league the iba the international basketball association yeah but they had the Rim rockers. So I was able to jump back and forth from baseball to hoops, which was which was fantastic. And and it ends up that hoops becomes becomes your bread and butter. Um and now you continue to do minor league baseball, right? You get the work in I guess it's Northern Virginia, correct? So there yeah, then it was Northern VA after Montana to do single A baseball. Um and then I was able to go to a Washington Wizards game with a tape recorder. And now this is, so this is what, by the way, for people listening, this is because you've told me to do this before um, years ago. Basically, if you don't have a game or if you don't have a, an event that you're calling, tell them what you did. Right, right. So you basically create kind of a mock demo. I mean, it's, it's, it's really you calling a game. It just doesn't happen to be on the radio. <laughs> yeah. 
but you know, the gist of it is you need somebody to listen to how, what you'd sound like. And to me, I, I always felt if I could get in like a professional true top level game on tape, it would just sound a lot better to have real NBA or major league baseball names and get the crowd ambiance. It would just sound better. And so I ended up going to a, a wizards game uh, one winter there. It was like 2003, I think it was. And I needed to update my basketball play by play. And, th and that's how I decided to do it. And you and did it. You did a whole game. I did a whole game and I edited <clears throat> that up and chopped it up and circulated that to all the NBA broadcasting directors and play-by-play -play guys just to see who might possibly take a liking to it, my style, and nice enough, frankly, just to give it respond let's to me. Talk, let's, is, let's talk about your voice, okay? Because you've, you've got a golden voice. Now, is that something growing uh, up in New York? No, you really do. That you, you learn, okay, I got I to gotta have the pipes to do this. Like, I, did, did you work on that, or is that just – courtesy of harvey and what's your mom's name sandra is that sandra is this courtesy of them you have such a steel trap yeah memory. yeah i knew oh. your mom's name i'm mad i'm mad i forgot it but is that i mean is that just you yeah. you 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 born with that or, or what yeah i mean i i didn't do any formal like voice training okay. or anything like that um it's just me, just me, <laughs> So, so you have, but so you have that great voice. You send this tape out, uh, and then what's the response like? What 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 happens after that? So yeah, there were just a select few that responded, and I want to give a few of the people the right due and credit. Now, for one, Steve Martin was one, and obviously that that proved to be important. Uh, basically a year later. Mark Zumoff, Zoo, was just awesome. Philadelphia 76ers, sure. long-time TV play-by-play player who just retired. Um, there was, so there were a few really nice people. Dave Dombrowski, the Cleveland Cavaliers director of broadcasting. So, you know, I just really appreciated those that took the time. And, um, you know, I, I think I, I couched my letter to everybody saying, yeah, I'm just looking for some feedback and this and that. But really, frankly, it was all about just making connections. Mm -hmm. And if they had quality feedback, great. But I just wanted people to get to know who I was. And then from there, I would every few months circle back and just reach out and try to grow that relationship. And so your relationship grows with Steve Martin, who's in, in Charlotte, right? I mean, or I guess at that time, was he in New Orleans? So, yeah, he was in New Orleans, right. Yeah, at that point, because yeah, Charlotte lost the team in 2002. Then they go to New and Orleans, Steve Martin right? is, is the is the play by play broadcaster on television for for the now New Orleans Hornets. Uh, that team goes away; they're done. Um, they start up a new team called the Bobcats in Charlotte, and 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 we're, we'll 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 jump forward a little bit. Where where are you when you get a call from Steve Martin? Does he, does he call right away and, and offer you the job? Okay, so what happened there was the next year, 2000, okay, 2003, I go to Vero Beach, Florida to do the Dodgers single A play-by-play. Then in 2004, I go to Indianapolis, Indiana to do triple A baseball play-by-play as a number two guy. Um, Which looks pretty good, by the way, on, 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 on the broadcasting resume. I mean, this is, you're getting good work now. Yeah, you know, I, I'm trying to validate myself climbing the proverbial ladder step-by-step knowing that it's hard for a major league team, especially to hire a guy unless they've got double A minimum, if not triple A 
on their resume. Yeah. It's all about the credibility game, as you know. Yeah. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And even though I did do a little basketball, as I mentioned, in the minors in Billings, Montana, I hadn't done, you know, hoops, you know, in a, in a couple of years up to that point. So anyway, uh, yeah, it's getting such with Steve and a few of those others for a year or yeah, probably a good year since I first circulated those, those tapes. And, but to go even back a few weeks, if not months, and I, I'll tie it all together in a minute, but I ended up driving to Charlotte because I connected with John Guayano through my mailers. He listened to it, was nice enough to get back to me. And I said, listen, you know, you guys obviously are getting a team. He was the director of broadcasting for the expansion Bobcats. So he was in charge of filling out the, the play-by-play teams for So did you radio. drive to Charlotte just to make this connection? Yeah, so I, you know, I lied. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in Charlotte, you know. <laughs> of course always... I wasn't going to be in Charlotte. Yeah, uh... Uh, so I'd love just to say hi to you for five minutes. And, of course, you know, I, I did it specifically just to get in front of him, just to try to cement and reinforce And did the, you meet him? The... Oh, yeah, yeah. So I just spent a few minutes with him, and uh, I said, listen, you know, again, realistically, I don't know what I can do. I know I've never done a lot of professional play-by-play when it comes to basketball, but I was more than happy and willing to do the, the pre-half and post-game radio. That was my realistic goal mm-hmm. at that point. So anyway, I meet with John. Nothing really seems to happen. Steve Martin gets the play-by-play job. They bring him back, essentially, to Charlotte. Um, obviously a, a great, simple yeah. brain. So then I kind of had a two prong connection to the Charlotte Bobcats at the time at Steve and John. So a few months go by, I'm in Indy, the season's winding down. And then I get a, a voicemail from Steve. I remember one day I get back and, and I just had a good feeling like, all right, Steve's probably not calling me unless something positive is developing here. And I call him back, and he gives me the, the exciting news. And he says, yeah, we want to offer you the pre-half and post-game job. And the kicker is you get to back me up and fill in 12 to 15 times a year when I've got ACC TV conflicts. For football and, or basketball, too. Yeah, yeah, both, both, both. So, of course, I, I would have taken the job even if there was no play-by-play guaranteed. Yeah. But that was the real big, big kicker. Yeah. And uh, and he said, yeah, of course, you know, John, when I brought your name up, John's like, yep, done deal. Like, I approve because he'd met you. I'd, yeah. Yeah. 
so it all kind of worked out in that regard, and and that's how I. Uh, so so here we have Scott Lauer. It's two thousand four. You're this expansion. You're this expansion broadcaster, and you take a job with this expansion franchise, right? And you go to Charlotte. There's so much happening at the time around this situation. One, you're brand new there. It's your first job in the NBA. Two, uh, the the Hornets are no longer there, um, and there's a bitter taste in, in in the city's mouth. You could say people are very excited that the NBA is back in yeah. Charlotte because the Hornets from 1988 to I guess 2001 had such incredible success there. They were the darlings of the uh, of that city, and they left, uh, you know, on not the best circumstances. So there was a little bit of a sour taste in the city's mouth. You end up going to Charlotte. What was that like? How, how, how was being part of an expansion franchise in a city like that? How, how were you received? How was the team received in, in your experience? The team really wasn't necessarily warmly received. Um, it, it, as you know well, being there, you know. I have some questions for you. I got, I, I got to look at Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you know, it, it was, it was crazy. Field. The, the city was behind the original Hornets. And then when they were removed kind of abruptly uh, to go to New Orleans, you know, I think there was resentment there. And I'm not sure that the city really embraced another NBA franchise. I think it was more almost to a degree thrust upon them. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bob Johnson was the owner. He, he, he gets the team. For $300 uh, million. Yeah, right. He buys. He gets the team. He gets. He's awarded the team for three hundred million dollars. Which I mean, you look at now. Um, I mean, the the Suns could go for four billion dollars, and this is not right. forever ago. This is two thousand and four, eighteen years ago. Um, right. And then subsequently, six years later, Bob Johnson sells it to Michael Jordan, which we'll get to for two seventy five, which is crazy. <laughs> That's like a sweetheart deal, right? But 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 you show up in Charlotte and. It's 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 an interesting time, you know. I was there too. I mean, I, I did public relations for the Bobcats. That's when I got a, an opportunity to meet you. It was a great, it was it was a fun time because it was a brand new organization. But what what was your your experience? You get with an NBA organization. What were your first impressions of of, of being there? You know, whether it was media day or what, whatever your first day was. What was that like? Well, first of all, I mean, it was it was completely exhilarating for me because that's when I was essentially realizing my dream and my goal, you know, for basically a decade is, you know, I finally was able to latch on with, with an NBA team. So for me, I, I was, I was in the heavens, um, regardless as to how popular the team was. Yeah, I didn't care was, either. I was so happy. I was so yeah. happy. Yeah. I was like, you know, it's the NBA at the end of the day, right. it, was, it was the NBA. That's right. That's you right. Know, on, on November 12th, this 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 second year player with the Cleveland Cavaliers was coming to town, and his name was LeBron James, and you were going to get a chance to see him. And that's kind of what they sold the team on early on. It was like, hey, Shaq will be coming with the Miami Heat. You know, LeBron will be coming with the Cavaliers. Yeah. Kobe's coming. So it was like that was that was the campaign, dude. Oh yeah, I mean, I was having <clears throat> a blast, like going to shoot arounds. I was getting sound for not only the, the Bobcats, but I was also doing the shoot arounds for the opposing team just because I was, I was just crazy overzealous and I was trying to, to fill the, the pregame show as, as well as I could. I remember getting a soundbite. You mentioned LeBron. I went up to LeBron, you know, after the Cavs shoot around and I like I always like to do like human interest stories and stuff away from the actual sport, things that 
the average listener could appreciate and be entertained by. And I remember asking LeBron what his favorite movie was, and he said Saw. Uh, oh, Saw? Just, <laughs> the horror yeah. movie. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I'll just never forget that. Like, just random things like that. Yeah. And um, Was that your welcome but, to the NBA moment? Did you have one? Let me grab my soda here. Hmm. I mean, for me, though, what was salient was really the – the play-by-play, those 12 to 15 games, especially that first year, my very first game of play-by-play, and, and this is kind of where it got really wild and powerful for me emotionally, not that I was breaking down in tears, but I always said that my goal, like I've, I told you a couple of times and reminded you just in this podcast, I always treated my 20s like it was my glorified internship. Yeah. And when I was 30, I would reassess where I was in my career and then make decisions then. But I didn't really worry about anything until I was about 30. And when I was two days removed before my 30th birthday, I called my first ever NBA game. I, it was a preseason game in Portland at the Rose Garden at the time. Okay. Filling in for, and uh, the team was already out west in a ro- during a road trip. So I remember flying out there uh, on my own to meet the team and, and call my first ever game. And that was kind of my first aha moment of like, I remember just – looking out at the clouds on the plane, like, man, this, this, this <laughs> it's surreal. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like, my God, like they're, they're giving me like $95 per diem too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and you're I, on, I mean, and you're on the team plane, right? I mean, on, on, on the way home you are, I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. I mean, de- depending on the structure of some of those West coast trips or wherever the team yeah. was when I was filling in. Yes. Periodically. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like being on the team playing was just yeah, exactly. It was it was. What are you? It was just. What are your memories? I gotta have, I'm cutting you off. What are your memories of, of CSET? Carolina Sports <laughs> Entertainment Television. Yes, the acronym for it. Um, <laughs> it was it was a Bob Johnson, born production. Right, he started that as well. Um, that was part of the fun draw for for joining. Again, not not that I needed that to to take the job. But that was another kicker where I would get a few TV. So you actually looked fondly on on, on the CSET opportunity because a lot of people, you know, CSET was, uh, it it would be like if, you know, there was a brand new basketball team in Dallas and they they took uh, this brand new basketball team and they put them on a TV station that nobody could see that Mark Cuban owned. I mean, Mark Cuban would never have that short-sighted vision, but that's what happened. I think that... I think that Bob Johnson and the people who own the team felt like, well, they'll they'll get whatever package there is. They need to get to watch to watch these these guys and, and the Bobcats. Nobody nobody had the channel, dude. No, no, the digital tier. It's not like it was basic cable, and and nobody jumped at it. And so it 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 met its quick demise. Um, I don't know what was it within a couple of years, dude. Maybe? It was the first year. It was after the first year. I think one it was year. after the after one year. Um, and it was the day, um, it was the same day or the day after the Bobcats had drafted Raymond Felton and Sean May. And, uh, mm. yeah, they pulled the, they, they pulled the plug on it, which actually was pretty smart to, to just, just cut, cut the cord, um, and move on. And we kind of found ourselves as an organization digging our way out of that from a PR perspective and just from an access perspective who could see the games. Right. You know, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and so there were there were there's a lot of resentment in the community again, like about why is this owner doing this? Yeah. What's here? And 
Um, is this our money going there? And and obviously, being an expansion team, the team struggled on the court too uh, for a long, long time. But yes, first he said for me, I didn't give a damn who was watching. Yeah, right? It was, yeah. it was a chance to do TV. Um, whether it was ESPN or CSET, it really didn't matter to me. I was just trying to learn the, the TV game a little bit. Um, you know, and I was, I was a deer in headlights, you know, those first few games, I was awful. Like to, you know, certainly by my standards, I, I had, I was very uncomfortable. Really? Um, and I would get comfortable in front of a camera. Radio was always my comfort zone, uh-huh. but but nonetheless, it was it was cool to get that experience. What was what now when you're traveling with with the team, and, and we can go forward to when you were a full time guy. This is kind of like a, a broader question. What are some of the challenges you meet on the road as 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 a play by play guy? I I mean, from a personal perspective, I I like the road just because of the exposure and traveling and exploration element. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, you're, you're treated like royalty or chartered flights, five-star hotels. Um, I mean, to me, that's, that's exciting in itself. Or are you, are you referring to something else when it comes to the road? specifically? Well, no, no, no. I mean, that's, that's kind of, that, that's the first part of my question. And this, the second part is, and this goes to anybody, I think this is kind of like something that people aren't in tune with. You know, you work for, if you're an NBA broadcaster, you work for the team. Um, and so you're kind of on the same side as the players, you know, the, uh, the, the people in the front office. What kind of hurdles, though, did you meet uh, from members of, let's say, the public relations staff? Uh, you know, like you're on the road and you need a player. It's not as easy as people would think, is it? I don't know. I mean, for me, it was just because it's, it's local radio. And for, for my needs, I had the access to what I needed. And that was just my own guys. I go to all the, the shoot arounds. I get my sound bites. I interview the head coach. Uh, you know, we do a walk-off interview, particularly, I guess, if they won at the time, maybe uh-huh. they lost, they don't bother. Uh, <laughs> and that was all facilitated through our own PR guy. Yeah. Uh, so for me, you know, it, it, it really wasn't much of an issue at all. So you felt like, the, so you didn't, you didn't encounter any kind of problems with that stuff? No. So you move no. on now. And we're talking about uh, a Bobcast team. You had six head coaches, if, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Um, who was your favorite one? Your favorite coach to work with? If you had a coach that you just loved working with? Wow, Steve Clifford. I mean, I love Cliff. And he's back and with the Hornets now. Back. Yeah. I mean, he should have just stayed the entire time. <laughs> but um, frankly. Um, but I give them credit for bringing him back, you know, after Kenny Atkinson spurned them after seemingly accepting that job. But Cliff, Cliff is just a special guy because not only is he a fountain of, of basketball information, he's just a wonderful communicator. Uh, you, could, you could tell just watching his practices, shoot arounds, um, how he goes about handling himself. Uh, he respects everybody around him from peons like me the radio guy to it doesn't matter who you are he i i love just chopping it up with him before the games um you know maybe he felt it was annoying after a while but <laughs> I, I i would i would do the the daily interview with him and then i just stay there for several minutes just talking hoops and talking about the hornets with him and i loved it and i learned so much just listening to him during the media gatherings before all the games 
Um, so by far, he, he, he really made my last couple of years there really special um, because if, you, if you've got a, a pain in the ass for, for a coach, if you're the voice of a team, and I, and I had one. Who, who, was, who, who was that pain in the ass? Irie Brown. you're a philly guy i mean you know some of the stories with 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 coach brown i mean he's he's a brilliant brilliant basketball mind brilliant but but he will alienate virtually everybody around him after a short period of time um yeah my larry my quick larry brown story to give you an idea um his his first year with us so he gets let go by the Knicks. so he had a, a really wretched exit from new york and of course was burned by a lot of new york media members and he comes here and uh don't forget that he was he was in philly he was like a an advisor to you know the general manager um who at the time was i guess it was billy king and then billy left but they still they still kept him around um so i remember larry being around you know he'd come in i mean he was just a basketball freak anybody who would listen to him i remember he'd walk into this office during practice and I'd be covering practices as a PR guy, I'd be like, Michael Beasley, I've never seen anybody like him in my life. You know, he's just like, he's so, he, he, I mean, talk about a guy that would fall in and out of love with players. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, so so go ahead. So so Larry ends up in Charlotte, which is really exciting for, for, for the Bobcats at the time. It's like, okay, we got this, this real coach. I loved Bernie Bickerstaff, and I think, I think if they had kept on that early path, Bernie had really started an expansion franchise the right way. And he was given the keys to an expansion franchise. And then ownership changes, all this stuff, all this stuff changes. And it's like, okay, now what am I supposed to do? So Bernie's out. We have a couple coaches in between, but now Larry's there. So how was, what's your Larry Brown story? Oh, yeah. So the quick Larry Brown story. uh, And by the way, Bernie Bickerstaff, you know, his great line, right? It's an error of omission or an error of commission. I don't know if you remember, <laughs> but he would call all the players young buck. He would call BK Brev and I, come here, young buck. <laughs> like, but anyway, with, with Coach Brown, so his first year with us, and because I interviewed the head coach for the pregame show for every game, again, that's where it's important to have a good relationship with the head coach. And I, I wanted to stay out of his way because he's a Hall of Fame coach. He's got a lot going on. You know, he, he's Coach Brown. He does things his way. So the first preseason game, we're on the road. And then BJ Evans at the time, the PR director, escorts him over after shoot around, says, hey, coach, remember, I, I told you you're going to do these these radio <laughs> pregame interviews with the play by player. Well, here's the team broadcaster. It's, you know, Scott Lauer here. This is Coach Brown. And then before I'm, I'm sure BJ made the great sell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Before I even say a word to him, he goes, oh shit do i have to do this and i'm thinking to myself okay like how awkward is that and he's not kidding like he's 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 saying yeah yeah i mean this is who he is right he's like and like great so this is the beginning of our relationship like this this is what I'm, (laughs) I'm, i'm supposed to get into like every other day for the next six months right so i i try to ingratiate myself i start the interview and it's like we're being joined by a Hall of Fame coach, Larry Brown. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop, stop, stop. Stop this interview. And he's like, D- D- don't say the Hall of Fame piece. You know, he's, he's, he's this is kind of like what, how he's wired. He doesn't want to come across as, you know, the, the me guy. You know, I don't want the attention, but. <laughs> yeah, okay. right, yeah. Uh-huh. But, you know, we can go on about that. But so, you know, I, I started up. But the bottom line is it just, 
he was very, very insecure with like the interviews. And, and here I am, the team broadcaster. Obviously, I want him and everybody to do well. I'm not out to get anybody. But after like three or four pregame shows that preseason, he's like asking me like off the air, like, come on, you're, you're going to ask me some more tough questions again? Like he, I mean, like, coach, no. Uh, why did you think I asked you tough questions before? Like, yeah. It was just a really awkward dynamic. It was very tense, and I ended up aborting that plan, and I just interviewed all the assistants and rotated them <laughs> for two years in Charlotte, and life was much, much more pleasurable. And by the way, his brother, Herb Brown, is an absolute sweetheart. Yeah, you and Herb used to trade bottles of wine and stuff. That was your boy. You have a good memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's, and talk to me about, you know, when you're, when you're traveling with the team, and this is something about maybe a challenge on the road, you, you go to shoot-arounds. If there's a practice, you'll go to practice sometimes. But you're on – there's a bus for, for, for you. You're on the team bus. Um, were you ever left at, at the hotel either – or, or left at the arena? Uh, or, or were you late or, or was anything like that ever happened when a coach says, we're, we're, let's go? Uh, I, like, it's not like we were – I was intentionally left behind. But one time in my 11 years <laughs> – I accidentally, I was talking to somebody like in Orlando after shoot around one of the, the maintenance, guys. I forgot who it was. And then for some reason, I didn't realize we were, you know, just seconds away from the bus departing and I, I missed the bus. So then I had to cab it. That was the only time I've ever missed a, a, a bus or, or a plane. Ride. I, have you ever, have you ever been on a plane getting ready to go away on a road trip and, 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 a, and a player doesn't show or a coach is late? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that happened. And, you know, I think depending on who the player is <laughs> and who the coach is, you may or may not wait for that player. Yeah. Uh, you know, you hear stories like some of the greats, like, all right, well, we're, we're going to just sit here on the tarmac for the extra 30 minutes because the star is running late. Yeah. But yeah. How about your, um, so uh, how about your interactions with star players? I mean, you, you, you told that, that was an incredible story about LeBron because just he was such a young kid and it gives you an idea. I, I can guarantee you if you ask LeBron James what his favorite movie is right now, he's not going to say Saw, you know? He might say The Colored Purple, uh, but he's not going to say Saw. What was it like for you to be around these stars and are there other moments like that? Because I think one of the more interesting things about the, the job is the access. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed – I mean, I'm kind of anesthetized around athletes because some people think it's, you know, remarkable. Here I am, like, I see Patrick Ewing in the background of my TV. Georgetown finally oh, yeah. won a game. Of course, he was on the staff a couple of years. I mean, that was really cool growing up a New York Knicks fan, following Ewing and Oakley, and here they are as assistants uh, during two different stints with Charlotte. Um it, it, it's really wild how, how things play out sometimes. Um, yeah, I mean, it was still fun, though, just to be around like Kobe at the time or calling a game winner, you know, courtside from, from Kobe. Um, that's fun. Um, now, maybe he wasn't a true star, but I do want to give Al Jefferson a, a, a quick minute of glory <laughs> here because it was one of the greatest gestures that anyone has ever provided. I, I, I'm sure I told you this. But, um, you know, I used to play poker quite a bit. And I used to play on the, the team flights the last couple of years. And, and Al Jefferson was one of the guys that would play all the time, you know, Marvin Williams and, um, and a few others. But um, 
Gennaro Pargo. <laughs> but with Al, Al eventually sent me money and paid for and yeah, well, you were out in Vegas. I was so, there yeah, for summer league. I, I stayed with you. You stayed with me. That's exactly right. You went to the bank with me, right? <laughs> when I got the money up yeah. that Al hired me. So he sends me $5,000. Now, to him, I did the math. And he's a guy that's made, what, $130 million in his career or something? Yeah. And again, you can't make light of it because it's a, a, an amazing gesture is an amazing gesture. For me, especially at the time, that was a lot of money. He also paid for, you know, our hotel room. Uh, <laughs> our, yeah, yeah, I was there. Yeah. And my, and he, and he paid for my flight. He did everything. Yeah. So he ended up getting 7,000 bucks overall total of his own money, which is, and now again, the, the deal was if I would have cashed in this high stakes. Well, uh, uh, look, like we got to be real here. You know, uh, uh, the outcome wasn't great. I, <laughs> how quickly were you out of this? I unfortunately got busted set over set. That's three of a kind over three of a kind. It was kind of tough timing. Uh, and so I was eliminated in that, in that first day. It was only like a one or two day tournament anyway. Um, but the deal was if I would have cashed in this tournament, I would have given him half of my winnings, which yeah. is a standard poker backer deal. Yeah. And, and he was cool about it. I said, I'm Dude, sorry, I saw Al. him out there I th and I was like, oh, you know, Scotty was playing for you. He goes, yeah, he caught, you know, caught a bad hand or something. He, he could have cared less. You know what I mean? He was happy that you got the experience. And I think he did like the excitement of, of staking you because he played with you enough where he knew you were a real good player. Yeah, but I mean, it was such such a sweet gesture from him. Yeah, and never forget that. And uh, right, so, as we as as we come down the stretch here, I got a couple other things I want to make sure I hit on you, uh, with you. All right, so the seven and fifty nine season, uh, it's a strike shortened season, but seem, I'm sure it seemed long enough. You get in fifty nine losses. How the hell do you do play by play for a team that is seven <laughs> and fifty nine? How do you keep your spirits <laughs> up? How do, how do you keep the how do you keep the fan spirits up? Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and part of that was what there was a like a 20, what, 24 game losing streak. Yeah, mixed you know, in. yeah. yeah. It, was, it, was, it was statistically the worst team record wise in the history <laughs> of professional sports. It really was. The seven wins was the fewest ever. And the wing percentage was the lowest ever. Yeah. Uh, so in a, in a kind of a way, I kind of smile at that. I was part of history. Right. Um, it was it was really very difficult. I mean, it was challenging because I, I never fashioned myself as a true homer broadcaster. Obviously, I wanted my teams wherever I was to excel. It just makes my life more enjoyable to call those games. But I'm not one of these complete chills and, you know, going overboard and exaggerating, you know, for the, for the team I'm broadcasting for. But all that said, like, how can you spin things even moderately for a 7-59 and 59 team? So it, it was tough. I mean, I, I, I don't know, you know how you get through that. Again, I think you become anesthetized after, you know, months of just getting smashed. And, and like the talent level wasn't there. That was Kemba Walker's first year. He, they drafted Kemba and Bismarck Biombo in the lottery that year. It was, it was rough. It was rough. That was uh, what Coach, Coach Silas was. Yeah. And he's a legend. He's, he's just an incredible guy. Uh, what about now you? You were you were the studio host 
which years again? I was just, well, I was a studio host. This is one that, you, God bless you, you helped me get the job before I got sober. So I was a studio host for 2009 and 2010 when we made the playoffs. The Bobcats made the playoffs. It was, un- it was unbelievable. Of course, Larry Brown did an incredible job. Steven Jackson was a huge acquisition around, I guess it was, maybe November, December. Maybe it was closer towards the, the trade deadline, but he was unbelievable. I remember well, I asked Jared, Steve, Jared was, Wallace was, was an all-star. all-star. Yeah. I remember I asked uh, I asked Stephen Jackson once, how important is Gerald Wallace to this team? And he paused and he said, how important is breathing? <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, he was awesome. And he, he, he was a guy, he, he was the, the kind of guy, he was a perfect guy for that team. He could take the last shot. You know, he, he, he played hard defense. He, he challenged guys to play at that next level. Um, he was incredible. But part, and part of that, you know, and we, we have to give – Look, that was Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan hires Larry Brown. Michael Jordan at this point in time is pulling the trigger on on you know personnel moves pretty much. What was your your experience like? You know, people always ask me, um, what was it like working for Michael Jordan or being around Michael Jordan? What was it like for you? I mean, he buys a team in in two thousand and ten. By the way, and I love your story on the payoff with Pete talking <laughs> about your encounter. Oh yeah, I mean, I was—I have one encounter where I was on the wrong side of things, and I wasn't sober yet. And then I had another encounter where I was, and it was incredible. Yeah, we'll tease it. You can listen to the payoff with Pete to 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 hear that 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 full story. But it was—it's incredible. Yeah. Um. Look, MJ. He uh, he he is bigger than life. Like and like I was mentioning, being around athletes most of my life, it, it doesn't really do anything for me like it does for the average person right but that said when mj is around there is a feeling like i've never experienced before yeah i mean it it's unique and it's hard to even describe it's there there's a presence the 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 majesty is there it's the the greatest ever and i mean he's he, he's just a, a fun guy to be around he is he, he jokes and and his brothers are sweethearts. Uh, it's, a, it's a great family. So uh, I always say, regardless of what you think about this guy as an owner or, or, or whatever, he's a, I'm telling you, he's a, he's, a, he's a good man. I mean, I know people like, you know, may have different, but, but in my experience, he was always, he just was, was a nice guy. I mean, that's, that, was, yeah. that was my yeah. experience. You know? Yeah. The, the few times, like, we would – be together. I mean, he he'd call me Scotty. I'm always thinking, is that because of Scotty Pippen? <laughs> um, but you know, the, the one fun, quick experience yeah, yeah. I, I'll mention. Is I'm looking was, at my questions. See if I got them out. Okay, go ahead. I was I was engineering at, in the radio studio. Remember one of his old spots he did for Brand Jordan, where it was just his voice, kind of that powerful, you know, narration of MJ. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, you know, these inspirational themes behind it so one time and this goes back of course about you know maybe i'm guessing 2012 roughly i'm actually recording it and he's in there doing it there with his people and the brand jordan people and um was that the lebron was that the lebron ad maybe when 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 he he talked about what if somebody well well, go ahead go ahead oh no no i i know what you're referring to now i don't think it was that one okay okay i don't but I just remember how competitive he is just in that experience alone, because I remember he wanted to, he did so many takes of that and he was going over and he's like, nah, I don't like my tone there. 
I don't like really? reflection. I want to do this again, kind of like a, a perfectionist in a very flattering way. And I thought, you know, this 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 guy takes pride in everything he does, and that that to me was some insight into who who MJ is. What was what was your favorite? Was there any most incredible play or most incredible moment you you were able to call? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, two of them. Well, it's, well, there was a Kobe game winner my very first year when LA came to the old Charlotte Coliseum, um, but. I also called, and this is actually in the same season, LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony each achieved their personal scoring highs in a game, both against Charlotte, <laughs> and they both came within, I think, two and a half months of each other. Wow. And LeBron was 61 points in Miami, and then Carmelo was 62 points at the Garden, which also set a Garden record for most points scored by one player there by Nick. What was it like um, for you to go back to the garden and call games? Yeah, that that was that was special. That was that again. I, I've used the word surreal too many times yeah. in this podcast. That was uh, just to bring back some memories of of being a kid at the garden. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. All right, well, Scotty, this was a lot of fun to, to be able to share these stories with you. You know, you mean a lot to me. It's uh it's a lot of fun. I know, I I knew you would be able to to take this where where I wanted you to. So it was cool. Hey. Uh, I loved it, and I'm proud of you, Sousa, and for all you're doing with the podcast, the broadcasting, on and off the air. You, you are, you are special. Yeah, so are you, my man. Yeah, give, give my girl Ash a kiss for me. All right. All I right. appreciate it. It was, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun, right? Absolutely loved it. This, this is the second greatest day of my life behind Ash's birth. <laughs> there you go. We did it. All right, Scotty. Thanks, man. Later. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. We are Rogue Media Sports.